What excites me these days is seeing the integration of people in different fields and what they can bring to that. So what does that even mean? Um, I'm excited about the opportunity for GIS folks to play with graphic design software and get ideas and carry that over into their technical experience. Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. My guest on the show today is John Nelson. I think his official title at Esri is something like product engineer, but I, I think that you'll recognize him more for his work in cartography and map making and designing user experiences. And, and that's the side of his work that we're going to be focusing on today in this conversation. Just before we get into the conversation with John, a really big thank you to our sponsor, PlaceKey. So PlaceKey is a movement to create an open universal standard for identifying physical places. I've talked a little bit about PlaceKey in the past, uh, over the last couple of episodes, and they have recently updated their website. This is a really new idea, a new concept, so you'll see a lot of changes in the website over time as, as things get updated and, and more details be sort of come to light. Go along, check it out. It's going to be a free open service and it's an incredibly interesting idea. So please, if you're interested, placekey.io. Check them out. Okay, uh, let's dive into the interview with John. Hey John, welcome to the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to do this interview with, with me. It's something I've been really looking forward to because I've been admiring your work for quite some time now. Uh, you are a... You're a map maker. You're a, an amazing cartographer. You work at Esri. And I think before we, we jump into the conversation around making maps, around cartography, could you just give the listeners a little bit of an understanding of your background and how you got involved in cartography? Sure, happy to. First of all, thanks for having me. It's an honor and I'm looking forward to our chat. So my background, uh, academically, my background is in geography and the social sciences. And I specialized in GIS and remote sensing and cartography. They called it the techniques back then a million years ago. The techniques was my specialty. And I minored in art, which has actually turned out to have been really helpful in my career. Um, maybe that's not the case for a lot of art minors out there, but I've been able to, I think, maximize it pretty well. So that's my academic background. And I've had a, a couple um, GIS jobs in the past. The biggest stretch I had was actually designing user experiences. So digital user experiences for the web for a company that worked with data visualization. And they eventually specialized into risk visualization. But, uh, you know, a key component of that was visualizing um, geographic risk, where stuff is, understanding where something is in relation to something that's dangerous to it. And so that's, that's where I was for about 10 or 11 years. And then Eventually, I landed here at Esri working on the content team. And the content team helps uh, create or promote the existence of all sorts of wonderful data and maps that are available out there for folks to use. And it's my job to kind of swim around in that and play with that data and make maps and then show people how to make those maps and, and just get people excited about geography as though that even needed help being exciting. I mean, geography is already incredibly exciting. So I get I get paid to play around making maps, Daniel, is the long and the short of it. And it rules. It's great. It's a great gig. 
It, it sounds like a really, really good one. Yeah, so you've got a similar background to me. I started off u- using the techniques or learning the techniques as well. So GIS, remote sensing. But I never, like I enjoy making maps, but for me they have to be very, very simple. I'm, I'm all about simplistic maps. You'll see a few examples of, of my work on our website, but they're, they're very simplistic. For example, the, the reason why I chose elevation data to work with was because I figured that nature had already done the design for me. I could just take this elevation data, add some color, and, and that was my map. One thing I found really interesting when you're talking about your background there and previous experience was this idea of designing experiences uh, through data visualization. And you talked about risk mapping, like showing the risk to people. How is that different from just everyday mapping, if I might ask? Sure. Well, geography was one component of that. You know, we would also have interactive charting elements. And this was all in the browser in the early to mid 2000s. So it was all very new, you know, remember when we used the word Ajax for asynchronous JavaScript stuff? Well, um, so we would have a mapping component that would show geographic content, but we'd also have charting elements too. And they were all linked together so that if you were interacting with say a scatter plot of something, it would ping on the map and vice versa. So we were doing some of the earlier work in web-based versions of these, um, federated ways of visualizing data in different dimensions concurrently. I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I, something you said really piqued my interest because you had mentioned your maps as being simple and there's a, there's a huge power to that and exercising restraint in geographic design has, has a, a really big and key impact on you know the clarity of that and and what's eventually communicated and you were working with elevation data and i love working with elevation data it's so it's a treat really i mean just when i when i look at a raw digital elevation model and you probably feel similarly it's like opening a present because it's so much coolness is inherent in it and you know all i can do is mess it up because it's already amazing you know we just put some colors on there and do some hill shade techniques and see what we can do with it. But it's so fun. Simplicity is really a, a key skill. Yeah, I, sometimes I feel, uh, not with your work, but with other maps I see out in the world, I, I feel like they're, they're almost overloaded, right? They're almost restricting access to the message that we're trying to get out there to whatever community we're working with or or um sort of end users we're, we're working with, we're almost restricting the access to it because they're so cluttered, they're so detailed. And I think that's that, that's the um, that, that sort of technical mindset at work. Like uh, we need to make this as correct as possible, show as much, give as much value as possible. And I feel like it's a, a mistake sometimes. Yeah, I, I agree. I disagree about the sometimes. <laughs> it's always a mistake now. Um, some, the world is complex. And if you want an incredibly complex map of the world just let people look around at the real world i mean a map is just a model of a specific phenomenon in the real world in order to take an idea or an insight that's in your brain and somehow magically transport that into somebody else's brain and i think a lot of the times we forget that what a map is is just a simple communication device and if we can state something simply it means that we really understand it and uh, I found that a lot of communication gets bloated and kind of um, hard to track when somebody doesn't totally understand something. Or on the other hand, somebody really understands something and they're very excited about it and they want to tell you everything 
all at once. And um, there's there's a discipline involved in any kind of graphic design, really, but specifically geographic design when I, when you're making a map is to um, pick a salient thing that you'd like to communi- communicate and put that in your map. And, and the rest of those things probably all deserve their own map. You know, all these 15, 35, you know, 100 layers that are appearing on a map all at once, nobody's getting anything out of that likely. Um, they could be 100 individual maps that people could really pour over and get insight from. So there's there's power and simplicity for sure. Um, and uh, this is something I, I, I do think a lot about because I've, I've done this in the past too. We have a pretty specialized uh, role in the professional environment, you, me, and other GIS folks. GIS is complex and the, the workflows are complicated. And oftentimes there's just one of us in an organization that's just swimming in data and has demands on us. And, and maybe one of the ways that we communicate that or reflect that back to our uh, audience or our peers is to show them just how complicated geography is and how important it is. And so we put it all in one map and say, look, look how complex this is. And I've felt that, that draw to make something very complex looking because it's important and you need to tell them everything and our jobs are hard. Um, but there's, there's so much more power that can happen if, if we make more maps with fewer content, fewer things in there to, to get in the way. It's like a clock radio, you know. I'd rather have a clock and a radio and I don't need it to do everything all at once. There's a thing called, um, what is it? Uh, I was reading a Harvard Business Review article about it. You're, oh, diminishing marginal value of every new feature. And over time, you actually have damage that happens if you have another feature and another feature. People are less likely to discover the feature or use the feature. And the design suffers because you're shoehorning so much into one element instead of having a specialized design. So, man, I could, Daniel, I could talk all day about this crazy, weird stuff about UX and uh, simplicity, but uh, I realize I've been talking for a half hour now uninterrupted. But, but this is why we're here. This is why we're here to talk about it because you are an expert at this and we would really like to learn more about it. A lot of things that stuck out for me, they were around messaging, they were around simplicity, they were around our audience. And, and I think we talked a little bit about some of the things we could we, we do wrong, like this, I, that this um, willingness to clutter the map, add too much stuff cloud that that messaging um what are some of the things that 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 we can do or that we can think about that would would help us sort of be more specific about our messaging about our communication sure sure well um i think about maps and i've heard mathematicians describe their work in this way and and actually also artists they they think of something as already existing the structure is there and it's their job to chip away at the detritus and the extra stuff and the noise and the content that it distracts us in, like, like uh, digging out the bones of a fossil from dirt, you know, Um, they work on revealing the structure that's already there. Michelangelo had this great quote that I'll totally butcher in that um, the sculpture of David is in the marble already. He just has to free it from the surrounding marble. And it's, it's a lot like that in my perspective with map making and specifically the, the design aspect of that, communicating with map, letting the geographic content um, communicate itself. And I say content, and 
we throw words like content and data and layers around an awful lot. But I had a, an advisor once named Kirk Goldsberry, and he liked to um, push back on the word data. Like you keep saying data, but you're not working with data. You're not mapping data. Data is an element of something that you use. What you're mapping is a phenomenon. And if you can approach the map making process um, from the perspective of trying to understand a phenomenon first yourself so that you can think clearly about it and then create a good design that communicates that phenomenon to somebody else. Um, and that, that actually, that quote, that one quote has had such a big impact on how I approach making a map. Instead of thinking of it as a plate and I just toss all kinds of stuff onto that plate, boom, 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 here's a big plate of stuff, you know, get what you can out of it, is really understanding what the phenomenon is that I'm trying to communicate and help free from, um, from all the rest of the data that surrounds it and how to, how to visually push that out there to folks so they can just see something cleanly. I think that forces you too to have uh, empathy for for your for the audience for the people you're trying to communicate with because you're exposing something particular from the data for a particular set of people that need to understand the message there. Yeah, and that's a huge that's a huge component of cartography is understanding your audience in the context of the phenomenon that you're challenged to do justice by. Um, yeah, there, there's uh, there's a lot to that. So, so this, this raises a few questions for me, uh, and I'm a little bit ashamed to say this, but several times during my professional career, I've said to people, looked them in the eye and said, said to them, hey, it's all points, lines, and polygons to me, which is embarrassing because it shows no empathy for their subject knowledge, right? I just show up and, and it's all data, and I think that comes back to the mindset, it's all data, you know, you want some data on some paper, here you go. And I, I think if we start thinking about, like you're suggesting, as phenomena, we are mapping a particular thing, we're trying to send a particular message to a particular audience, I think that would really flip that on its head and, and change our thinking around the, the way we communicate with maps. It did for me. It did for me. And I, we all bring different um, backgrounds to our work. My, my professional background, so much of my time was spent in user experience design. And that's you mentioned empathy. Empathy is so critical to every aspect of user experience design. And in a lot of ways, making a map is we're user experience designers for a spatial phenomenon that we're trying to, to uh, reveal to somebody else. And if you can think about or imagine what somebody looking at your map is going to get from it, or what might they be confused by, then you're going to you're going to be in a, in a better spot. I remember a long time ago, I read this book, um, Making the Invisible Visible, which was written by a graphic designer, not, not, not a map maker, just a you know, graphic designer who did a lot of thinking about simple communicative design. And he said one of the exercises that they would take in, um, in their design process was the designers would all gather around somebody's uh, work and um, there would be a person whose role it was to be a little bit of a devil's advocate. And they would, they would point at something in the design and say, justify it. And then the designer had to say, why is it there? And then they would move on and say, justify this. And the designer had to defend at every element. And um, that was sort of a, a terrifying prospect for me because as designers, so often we can kind of feel a sense of ownership for our work and 
Um, but if, if somebody is looking at it and picking it apart, um, it helps us think about our work more, but also it helps us build up that sense of empathy where everything we add to the map might have a slight detraction to everything else. So only add what's important. Make it as simple as possible, uh, but no simpler. <laughs> Which makes perfect sense. I think we, we could learn a lot from the design industry, um, but it, it feels like when you employ a designer, you have a designer on staff. I mean, you understand immediately that these people are experts in creating you know, visually interesting things. When you have a GIS person on staff, that, that is definitely not the case. You have this kind of, you have a person who you expect to do uh, 101 different things. Um, what do you think we can learn from the design industry in terms of sort of building up that that sort of expertise around what we do and that sort of clarity around what we do? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. We It, it sounds so specialized to say a GIS person or a technician or a cartographer or a map maker. Like you say that to somebody else and I think, oh gosh, what are there six of those in the world? You know, that's so specialized. But ironically, to your point, a graphic designer just gets to focus on the graphic design. And it's their one job to represent a concept visually. And, you know, they're very good at that. And they get to hone in on that. But it's probably kind of rare to find the graphic design person who's also the marketing expert, the statistician, the project manager, all of those things kind of rolled into one. But map making is a little bit like that. It's this big beast of otherwise really specialized components. You know, we have to be database administrators, you know, we have to be analysts, we have to be statistically adept at things, we have to be somewhat IT managers of ourselves. And at the same time, we also have to be really good graphic designer. How does that happen? Come on, what kind of person is this, you know, this imaginary GIS person? You know, we don't get the luxury of saying, well, I'm specializing in this one very specific aspect. But I think that's also part of the fun, Daniel, is if you talk to GIS folks, everybody has a domain within GIS that they particularly enjoy, but they're really remarkably broadly capable in the whole range of skill sets that I just mentioned. I mean, these are some, these are some fun, wonderful people. And that's part of the reason why I just love our community so much, the, the, societies and the organizations and the you know professional relationships we make with other map makers there's so many fun and cool skills that are so broad but they kind of we get to overlap with each other and then kind of nitpick on what we what we like to specialize in or what we feel like is a luxury to specialize in but i do think that the graphic end of that often is a bit neglected because we have a pretty technical field for all those you know things i just mentioned you know database ads admin, IT work, analysis, that kind of stuff. It can feel like when it comes to painting the picture and making it pretty, that can be an afterthought or not my job or something. And I've, I've, I've said before that you do all this work and all the investment in acquiring data or building the data, all your effort and sweat analyzing it and thinking about it and processing it and coming to some result. Don't stop there. You know, this is, this is why you did all that work, just so you can have this thing to communicate to somebody else don't uh don't forsake that if nobody sees it uh, or if they ignore it or if they even worse misinterpret the visual results then it was all for nothing so i like to advocate for you know thinking uh specifically about how to visually communicate the result of all your work 
Plus, it's fun for me. That's the cool part. I think people forget, too, that the art of map making is almost equal part science and equal part art, right? And that, mm. that creative side of it. And obviously, you can be creative with, with both pieces of it. But, you know, it's very rare that I open up a, a, you know, a data file or a database and have precisely the data I need in the shape that I need it in to create the map or to create whatever cartographic output or to do the analysis. More often than not, you have to do some data manipulation. You have to understand the statistics of what you're doing, the processes. It might be the process might run for several days if it's a large data set. And afterwards, then that comes the, then comes the art piece, right? The design piece. Yeah, there's so many hats that we have to wear. But that's that's one of the reasons why it's it's still so exciting. And I made an analogy not not too long ago. I didn't make the analogy. I stole the analogy. The analogy of the old iceberg thing. So, I mean, what, 90% of the iceberg is submerged underwater and you just, you're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. And I, I think it's that way for map making. So much of our work and our effort goes into that unseen effort of cleaning data, making data, doing that analysis with really messy, sloppy data sometimes. And we take what we can and we learn a lesson from that data. You know, we salvage what we can and we're honest about what we don't have access to or what might be wrong. And then we present that result in just that little 10% tip of the iceberg that people actually end up seeing. But I mean, when it comes to that effort budget, so much energy goes into preparing for that little bit that people see. Yeah. Um, so cartography, making maps has been with us for, for some time now, and it's definitely changed throughout the course of its life. Um, do you see any sort of trends when, when you look at it today? Obviously, we, we there's a, a plethora of tools available to us. We can handle uh, bigger and bigger data sets. Um, do you see anything out there in the industry, if you will, that sort of points in any particular direction when, when you look at the some of the perhaps more cutting edge work people are doing? Yeah. Um, what, what excites me these days is seeing the integration of people in different fields and w what they can bring to that. So what does that even mean? Um, I'm excited about the opportunity for GIS folks to play with graphic design software and get ideas and carry that over into their technical experience. And I'm also excited about graphic designers having access to these um, new, easy-to-use tools that are available for them to start making maps. Um, we used to have such a, a federated workforce. You know, this is a graphic designer, and a graphic designer had no chance of cracking open a geographic information system or who knows what right back then, uh, tabulating tables and scratching things into copper plates. We were so specialized, but now we can take those specialties and dip our toe into different waters. And map people can dip our toes into the purely graphic design waters and designers can dip their toes into the world of making maps. And honestly, I think and maybe it's the, the sneaky, mischievous part of me Daniel, but I, I think when graphic designers learn more about mapping and geography and, and the cool concepts that underlie, you know, this old craft, um, we steal them over and they become cartographers. You know, <laughs> if they're making a map, they're going to be a cartographer. And I found that designers who are equipped with an increasing amount of 
good practice and some insights from the world of geography, they tend to make some just beautiful maps because that's, you know, their craft is specialized in creating a, a graphic representation of a concept. And so they've got so much to bring to that. And I've got a lot to learn from them in that regard. So the, the whole overlapping nature um, that's available now because of the ubiquity of design tools or geographic tools and um, the opportunity for us to all kind of swim together in a little bit and learn from each other. I think I think that's a, that's a beautiful dream. I, I really hope it happens. But I see a whole lot of, of gatekeeping going on out there. When I see people, maybe this is just a social media thing, but when I see people put up their cartographic work in public, I yeah, so some of the the comments people get. I mean, we we are clearly still the gatekeepers. We are ruthless when we point out, you know, this is wrong and that is wrong and that is not the way it should be when you're making maps. These projections are wrong. We, we don't seem to be, as an industry anyway, as a whole, seizing the opportunity to be educators here and sort of nourish that uh, that, that overlap that you were talking about. What, what would you say to, to people that act in the, this way, that are still the gatekeepers, that see... Uh, other people that are moving into the space as threatening their existence or eroding their their um, expertise. Sure. Well, it's hard. Social media is hard. Social media is weird. It's this weird technology where you're very limited in, let's say, Twitter and how much you can say and communicate in something. And it's also beautiful in a way that it's this forum where people can share what they're working on. Um, but I, I yeah, I, I, I see some of what you're talking about, but I also see the other side of that, which is people putting together really amazing resources for people to use, free resources. You know, they're using their, their time and energy to create educational tools for people. Um, they're writing blog posts, making videos. Here's how to make this map, and here's why these little elements are very important. I remember when, maybe this was like the mid-2000s, when Google Maps came out, Google acquired the, the team that um, had made Google Maps and, and Google Maps is out there. All of a sudden it's ubiquitous. People are um, putting data into that. Remember mashups, we call them mashups. Yeah, yeah. And there was this knee-jerk reaction for trained geographers and, and GIS people like myself to feel this sense of ownership in this domain specialty. And that's natural and it's okay. But um, to me, it's not necessarily like a scary threat, like, oh, no, everybody's going to be making maps and I'm going to be pushed out of a job. This is crazy. Uh, it's, it's not a zero-sum game. I mean, there's no limit to the number of maps that can be made, you know. Even with one phenomenon, every person brings their own graphical sensibility to that and their sense of understanding and how they approach it. And, it, you know, data is so multifaceted. So I, I think it's a, a wonderful opportunity for... Um, we as map folks to see what's being made and produce uh, resources for folks to improve their mapping and think, oh, I, you know, I didn't know, you know, about projections being so important. Now I get it, that kind of thing. Or I didn't know about color schemes that are appropriate for representing data, you know, that, that do right by our visual cognitive system, something like that. You know, there's so many opportunities to say, hey, check this out. This is actually a really interesting resource and your maps can be better as a result of it and everybody wins. So uh, mostly I'm excited. My wife teases me in that there's this far side comic where a guy's in hell and he's pushing a wheelbarrow full of brimstone 
and there's a, a couple of demons talking to each other and the guy's whistling doo, 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 doo. and one demon says to the other demon you know i just think we're not getting through to this guy and so <laughs> my wife teases me that that's me doing the whistling so maybe i'm foolishly optimistic but that's what i that's what i choose to focus on daniel's <laughs> the opportunity that, that sounds good to me. And, and I really like that abundance mindset that you have. I mean, there is plenty to go around. So I, I really appreciate what you said there. And I'm, I'm all in <laughs> as far as optimism goes. I, I mentioned this a little bit before. We see a lot of different tools out there. We have access to data in ways that we, we've never had before. So cartography is, is getting easier. Like more and more people can participate now um, because, you know, people are sharing resources. They're, they're, they have access to these different things and the tools are getting easier to use. What, what do you see when you think about the, the future of this? in terms of the way we represent data. Is there any particular tools that, that you're excited about or styles or animations? What's out there at the moment where you think, wow, that, that is the future? Good question. What is the future? I, you know, I don't know. Who am I to, to guess what the future is? I, I just keep stumbling around in data and trying new things and uh, having an idea, as you say, and just giving it a shot and sharing the results of that. Uh, with folks. And then I get inspired by their comments and their kind of what if comments like, whoa, you know, what if you had done this? Or it'd be neat to try this on another data set. I think, oh gosh. And it's this beautiful, I think, virtuous cycle of sharing and inspiration that happens as a result. Um, if I think of the future, I mean, I really feel like the future belongs to the people who are excited about the work that they're doing and roll the lessons that they're learning from other domains into their own work. You know, not just, not just in GIS and mapping, and maybe that's too vague, but uh, I think we're at a neat opportunity right now from a, a technical perspective where you can build up these really kind of bizarrely disparate skill sets and then smash them all together in, in, this, uh, in this environment of, of map making and design and, and spatial thinking. So... Uh, I realized that was a real convoluted answer, and I probably didn't even answer it, probably because I don't know the answer. <laughs> that, that, that's fine. I, I think you did a good job. It's, it's tough, like just having questions thrown at you, and you're doing an amazing job. I, I, I think perhaps another question which will sort of take us down the same track would be, who inspires you at the moment, and, and why do they inspire you? Hmm. You know, there's, there's just a lot of, of inspiring work that's happening out there. I'm part of... Uh, a society called NACIS, N-A-C-I-S. And that's a, a group of map nerds who just love talking about different ways of visualizing geographic data, how to communicate through cartography, that kind of thing. Um, that society really has, um, it, it is a direction where I look for increased uh, inspiration and frankly, camaraderie. Uh, it, it's nice to find other people in your uh, group who, think about the same kinds of weird niche things that you think about and have opinions on them. And you're like, oh my goodness, I thought I was the only one thinking about this sort of thing. And so that's a lot of fun. And I've benefited an awful lot from that, that group of folks in the past. I mean, that was one of the big things that got me out uh, sharing my work publicly is, is folks in NASIS. I would see the work that they would do in, in their community, particularly on Twitter. People would share the, the stuff that they're working on 
And I'd see these tweets come through about the conference that they were at and think, oh my goodness, these people, this is my kind of people talking about these weird nerdy map things. So that that was a big reason why I started, I, I, I guess I got bold enough to share some of the things that I was working on publicly. And, uh, and then, you know, that, that only increases that feedback loop of people, you know, giving you feedback or maybe even just saying, Hey, nice job. And you're like, okay, that wasn't so scary. You know, I'm more likely now to, to share the next thing. And so, yeah, I I suppose the the folks sharing the work that they do in uh, the NASIS community is, is uh, an area that I look to an awful lot. I've just got a couple more questions before we sort of round off the conversation here. And and the first one is, what should cartographers stop doing? Ooh, stop. What should they stop doing? Um, well, we hit, we hit on this earlier, but I think cartographers should stop um, putting too much into one thing. And this, this translates even to map-based journalism too. I mean, um, sometimes if we're working on a map and we want to present it, say in a story map or something, we become these, this subject matter expert or a domain expert. And we go on and on and on about it, but it's important to remember that um, it's not just us thinking about it. It's us thinking clearly about something and then providing a distilled version of that for others to learn about. And so what I, what I tell folks who are say writing story maps or um, narrative-based map journalism pieces, anything like that, is to keep it kind of short, a little bit short and sweet. Long reads are okay, but generally people are interested in understanding something kind of quickly. And if you have a lot to say about it, then you can serialize it. So, you know, you don't have to pack it all into one thing, you know, break it up into a three-part series, and then you can really focus on the nuggets within each of those three things. And so, let your map specialize and let the communication that happens be a really kind of distilled version of that phenomenon that that map or that story map is is making. Kitchen sink cartography, I guess, is what I, I used to call it. Kitchen sink cartography. Watch out for the kitchen sink. <laughs> Sounds like some good advice to me. And, and that's definitely something that people will remember. If I was starting out uh, making maps now as and I was really into cartography and I thought, this is it, this is me, this is what I want to do, what should I be doing to sort of prepare myself for, for a future in this space, do you think? Mm. Uh, well, shoot, how the heck do I know? But I can tell you what I did. I, I had a, a couple GIS-C jobs and I'll tell you, oh man, I'll give you an anecdote from my first like full-time professional GIS role. I was a GIS technician for a Native American tribe and I was working in their um, natural resources department and I was freshly hired and this was my first full-time job and I was done with the onboarding stuff. You know, you'd filled out all the paperwork and your computer's all set up and you kind of sit there and I was like, all right, well, what, you know, what now? And it had been a couple days and I remember uh, talking to finding somebody, a colleague of mine and saying, hey, so what do you think I should be working on? And uh, I'll never forget it. They, they looked a little bit surprised and they stuttered about, on it a little bit like I'm doing now. And they, and they said, well, uh, why don't you um, make a map? <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. OK. And oh, man, it, what washed over me was so comforting because what that did was it gave me permission to be like, okay, you hired me to make maps, not just 
to follow this never-ending litany of, of things to do and this laundry list of items to complete. Uh, most of the time, a GIS or a map-making person is hired because they're a creative person and there's an organization that has a need that um, results in geographic um, communication happening, whether it's a map or whether it's data that feeds into some system and nobody ever sees the data. They hired you for your brains and your creativity, not because you're a button pusher. And so when I heard that person say, why don't you make a map? I thought, okay, I'm just going to start making maps. And so I made maps. I thought of things that seemed pretty interesting and maybe useful to the department. And I just started doing it. And my, my advice to somebody just starting out in the field is if you've got a big list of things that you're tasked with, that's cool. But if you don't, just give yourself a list of things to be tasked with. And then that list will start feeding on itself. And even if you do feel like you have a list of things and, oh man, I can never get done. I'm too busy. I'd like to try this, but I'm too busy. Just say, whoa, hold on. And steal back a good chunk of your day for following up on hunches and doing your own creative endeavoring. There is no limit. It's like a conveyor belt, right? You train your management system. It's their job to keep you busy. Um, that conveyor belt can go as fast or as slow as you allow it to. But if you throttle back on that conveyor belt just a little bit, you know, you've got the work coming in that you're asked to do, but reclaim some of that time in the professional environment, not in the evenings or not at home, not on the weekend, where you do uh, a creative component related to the work that you're doing in the day. Maybe come up with an alternative view of the map or you have an idea that you didn't get a chance to do and you already turned in your, your project and completed it, it takes some time to do a little bit of a hindsight or a post-mortem and make an alternative. Like if I had known at the end what we were getting into at the beginning, maybe I would have done this. And then show that to your manager or the customer and say, check this out. And that'll fuel further conversations that shows that you're intrinsically motivated and you're curious. So... Daniel, my advice to people is to steal some of that time back. And I assure you, you'll do better work. You'll be more refreshed. You'll have more creative um, output. Uh, ironically, you'll probably get more done than you were doing before if you're just kind of ticking boxes and doing what you're told. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I think that's some really brilliant advice. And I'm so pleased to hear you say and show it to them at the end you know get that feedback that we we're talking about with social media before accelerate that learning by showing your work to someone and getting some feedback and you know listening to what they say and incorporating that advice into the next project that that you that you get into yeah yeah absolutely absolutely Hey, John, I really want to thank you for your time. I really appreciate your insights and I absolutely love your work. So please keep making it. Please keep sharing it. People like me, we look to people like you for inspiration. So thank you very much for that. Before I let you go, where can the listeners go if they want to reach out to you, if they want to learn more or continue the, the conversation? Well, thank you, Daniel. I mean, shoot, I could, I could do this all day long. So if anyone is interested in seeing the stuff that I make, um, I... I'm a fairly prolific blog writer because, like I said, I just can't shut up about it. I love making maps, but I have a lot more fun actually writing about how you can make those maps. Um, you can find my blog. It's called adventuresinmapping.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. And my handle on Twitter is John underscore M underscore Nelson. 
or just Google Google my name and the word map and then see what grabs you and, and follow up on whatever link you find. Thanks very much, John. Really appreciate it. Thank you. So I really hope that you enjoyed that episode with John. I thought some of the key points there that, that he made that really stuck out in my mind was this idea of simplicity, not packing too much into our maps and really thinking about like what are we trying to achieve with this map and who is it for? What message are we trying to send? What audience are we trying to serve? And I think for me personally, if I was more focused on that, I think I would make significantly better maps and communicate my message to my target audience significantly better. I really believe that this is this is something we, we should be focusing on. Also, I want to remind you that the podcast is sponsored by PlaceKey. So PlaceKey is a free and open universal standard identifier for any physical place in the world. I think this is a really big idea. It's got a ton of support from 500 different organizations and companies around the world. And it's going to happen. So it's worth checking out. PlaceKey.io, they've recently updated the website with a whole bunch of, of information. And they've got some really great frequently asked questions. So check it out if you're interested. And that's it for another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel. As always, it is a real pleasure being your host each week and I appreciate you taking the time to tune in. I'm also really grateful for the people that take the time to reach out on Twitter and, and LinkedIn especially. I'm most active there and your questions, comments, suggestions, that they really help me shape the, the direction of the podcast. They, they help me make it better for you. And yeah, it, it really means the world to me to, to hear from you. So please continue to reach out if you have questions, comments, suggestions. I really enjoy hearing from them and I answer every single one of them. If you're enjoying this podcast and have a friend or know someone who you think might benefit from it, please share it with them. I would really appreciate it. Okay, that's it from me. We'll, we'll talk again next week. Bye.